Hey everyone, welcome to the Gate Alliance Church. We're so glad you could join us for this week's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn how you can be more engaged in our church, check us out online at thegatechurch.ca. Thanks for listening and enjoy this week's podcast. I was sharing how on holiday, I was there watching the sun rise over the ocean as was my habit and I have my coffee and have my Bible. And I said, Lord, before I open my Bible today, I just want you to lead me to a scripture which would challenge me. And so what popped in my mind was 2 Chronicles chapter 12. And I had no idea what this was about. And so I'm turning, opening my Bible, turning to this chapter and really anticipating what is it God would have me to know. And I shared with you last week what it said. It said, but when Rehoboam was firmly established and strong, he abandoned the law of the Lord. And we learned this last week, how... When we have confidence in ourselves, that can cause us to compromise in our obedience with God, right? Because in times of trouble, we're calling out to God for help. We're making promises. Lord, if you get me through this mess, through this trial, I'm there for you. But when things are going well in our life, like as it was the case for Rehoboam in this point, when we feel firmly established and strong, we can abandon God and his ways in our life. And we noted last week how we're not always, maybe we're not always ready to compromise and saying what we believe, but we compromise in the practice of practicing, of following through in what we say we believe. And we did a little self-discovery test, remember, to help us understand, is there compromise in my life? And I ask you to consider this. If you knew Jesus was coming back in 10 days, you had no doubt about it. Jesus told you I'm coming back in 10 days. How would you live differently in the next 10 days than you did in the last 10 days? And that will tell you right then, okay, <laughs> there's people I need to forgive. There's sins I need to deal with. There's this, this, this. That will show you and right away, cast light into where you might be compromising, where you before were justifying it. But now you can say, nope, I got to deal with this. Jesus needs to be the Lord of our life, whether our days are good or difficult. God's truth is he doesn't change based on our circumstances. So, why would we choose to adhere and follow his truth based upon the circumstances of our life? So today we're going to look at the remaining part of this verse from chapter 12 in Second Chronicles, which unfortunately is just as tragic and as alarming as the first part we read. But nevertheless, we we're going to look at it because we can learn, I can learn, we can learn uh, from Rehoboam because believe me, we do not want to be responsible for what Rehoboam was responsible for in his life. For this is what we read. We read this already. But Rehoboam was firmly established and strong. He abandoned the law of the Lord. But then the verse ends this way. And all of Israel followed him in this sin. And all the people, all of Israel followed Rehoboam in his sin. And as king, Rehoboam had, you know, he was a leader of his people. Right? But, but a leader is far more than just a title that we hold, like king. A leader can be described as one who has influence in the lives of others. A leader is one who is in the position to impact the lives of others. So the first thing you need to realize is this. You are a leader in someone's life. That is, you have influence with people. You don't, you don't need to, to, to have a title to be a leader. You are somehow 
in position where you can show and demonstrate and practice the truth that will impact the lives of others. You have influence with the people you work with, the people you go to school with, um, people who live with you in your home, in your neighborhood, in your apartment building and so forth, at work, all of this. But more specifically today, I want you to know that what you do and what you don't do carries significant influence in the lives of your children and grandchildren. And this was, leads us to our second truth today. Yes, you're a leader. And secondly, our choices always have consequences. And here is why we need to hear this verse today, especially as parents. As parents, we are like these kings and queens in our homes. We have this little kingdom called our family. And in our kingdom, we have these subjects which we, we rule over called our children. And our children watch us and they follow us more than we realize. I like what John Maxwell says regarding a leader. A leader is one who knows the way, goes the way, and shows the way. That's our job as parents. We must know the way. We talked about orthodoxy last week. We must know correct belief. But much, much more than that, we must show the way, go the way, show the way. That's orthopraxy. I, I had something really, uh, really neat happen to me this week. Last Monday morning, I was watching um, from home my son-in-law, Russell, deliver his sermon from this past Sunday. And as he was preaching, the, the sun was shining through the front window on to the TV screen in such a way that it revealed these little handprints on the television screen. And I realized at once, these are the handprints of Lewis, his two and a half year old son and my grandson. When he was here visiting recently, he went up to the TV in our house and, and put his hands on it and, his, and left his imprint, his his handprints there on the screen. Uh, here's a picture of what I was seeing this past Monday morning watching Russell preach. You can see him there speaking, but you see in the bottom right there, these little handprints um, being revealed. And as I'm seeing these little handprints and hearing Russell preach, the symbolism of what I was observing was not lost on me. Because as his father's preaching, the handprints of his son are upon him. And it reminded me how our children are, are there. They're watching us. They're listening to us. They're observing us. We can't help but have influence on our children's spiritual health. And it begins very at a very early, early age, probably earlier than we realize. So as I'm watching these little handprints on the screen where, where Russell is preaching, Russell shares this illustration about Lewis. He shared how when Lewis was one and a half years old, he and Bethany, my, my daughter, would read this child's devotional book to Lewis every night before he would go to bed. And Lewis got to where, you know, he wanted to hold the book himself, you know, instead of one of his parents holding it. But the problem is the pages in his book were so thin that when Lewis would turn them, he would be a little more excited than, you know, and aggressive and, and the pages could easily rip. So they decided, well, let's just put this devotional book aside for a while until he's older and can manage these pages at a much more uh, safer um, rate than what he's doing as a one and a half year old. So Lewis is now two and a half and he loves books. He's just like his mom and dad and his granddad. So his parents decided to bring this devotional book out. They used to read to him every night. And so this week, Lewis is sitting on the couch with this devotional book and he's reading through it. Now, he's not able to read and recognize every word, but at his young age, he knows what the story is about. He can tell you what it is about. He has such a great memory. So he opens the book and he reads or paraphrases what is on the page. He opens up his devotional book that they read to him a year earlier every night. And he says this. He looks and goes, I love you 
and that's the end. I love you, and that is the end. He turns the page in his devotion book, and the next page he looks at it and goes, I love you, and that is the end. He turns page after page, and, and, and he knows at two, two and a half years of age that what God's message is to him, and it's this, Lewis, I love you, and that is the end. So don't let anyone tell you that you cannot have influence on your children, even at a young age. They can comprehend, even at two and a half, there's a God who loves them. And while our kids at home, we have this opportunity to lay a foundation to build their life upon that truth. The choices we make in regards to, to God and how we know and live that truth out have consequences on our kids' lives for years to come. In fact, I can remember one of the first times I realized this as a parent. Uh, my, my, the same daughter, Bethany, who was the mother of Lewis, when she was about nine or 10, uh, was singing at a school assembly, at a, at her class, her, her grade was singing. And, you know, as we were, were there as parents and all the other parents were there. In fact, my mom was there too. I remember that. And they're singing this song from like the gold rush days or something. And it's a fun, happy song. And they're all like this singing away and Bethany singing away until it got to this one line that they had to repeat over and over again. And the line was, Oh my God, where they had to take the Lord's name in vain and not use it in a glorifying way, but in a demeaning way. And Bethany's singing like this, when it got to that line, Oh my gosh, she went and just stared. And they went back to sing again, got to that line. Oh my God. And she would not sing. She would not move. And she realized even at that young age, this is not what she learned at home to use the Lord's name this way. And in front of all her peers, in front of all the parents, in front of all the kids, she stood there and would not participate. And my heart's breaking. I mean, I'm sitting out there as a dad. My heart's breaking. In fact, I wrote to school and said, look, don't put my kid in that position. And of course, they didn't really care. They didn't see the problem with it. But we know God is to be honored. So parents, and you know, especially as fathers who are the spiritual leaders of our homes, we have influence in the development of our children's spiritual life. In fact, in the year 2000, a study was released where it revealed to what extent the roles fathers and mothers play in their child's church attendance. And what was discovered, what was revealed, really demonstrates the importance really of fathers, um, their influence upon their children's church attendance. So this is, in short, this is what they found. If a mother is a regular attender, church attender, but the father doesn't attend church, only 2% of the children will subsequently become regular attenders themselves. However, when the father attends church regularly, but the mother does not, the percentage shoots up to 44% of the children will end up attending church regularly. From 2% the 44%. If both father and mother attend church regularly, then the study revealed that 66% of children became regular church attenders. You have influence. And if you look at any church where there are youth today and young adults and regular attendants, chances are their parents are there with them as regular attenders. In fact, you know, you think about the, how this could be true, even the context of our church. If you see young people in our church active and attending regularly, they're old enough to say, no, I don't want to come, but I do. I'm here because I want to be here. Chances are you see their parents there with them who are saying, I want to be here as well. But if you know young people who are hit and miss, and when it comes to church attendance, chances are their parents are hit and miss as well. Why? 
A leader is one who knows the way, orthodoxy, but goes the way and shows the way, orthopraxy. Let me even speak to grandparents because grandparents, you have influence as well. In fact, my grandfather, Royal, influenced me greatly, especially as a young adult when I was going into the ministry. He was a major encourager and influencer in my life. Glenda and I once became aware of a situation where a young adult lived with their grandparents and their grandparents were believers. And the grandchild had been attending church regularly, but suddenly stopped. Why? The grandchild said their grandparents were constantly being critical about the church and their home. And it bothered them. They, they would be nice out in public, but at home they were always belittling the church. And it affected this grandchild so much. It bothered them so much they just stopped attending. These grandparents to this day have no idea the impact their words had upon their grandchild. So understand, we have influence. Our words carry a lot of weight. Our lives and what we practice carry a lot of weight. Not just what we say, but what we do. So I am very, very grateful for a father and mother who created the habit in my life of attending church regularly. Now, church attendance doesn't save you, but it is the place where my relationship with God has been nurtured through teaching, through relationships, and through service. All, uh, you know, all these are needed to be a productive, successful Christian, teaching, building relationships, and serving. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I had the chance to speak in the church that I grew up in at my uncle's funeral. And I began telling the church. I told them how this was my church growing up. This church helped establish me in my faith as a young boy and as a young person. And this is what I know. Without the church, I would not be where I am in my relationship with God today. And I want my children, I want my grandchildren to have the same opportunity as I did. Now again, the church does not save you. The church is not a place where people always perform perfectly. You can be hurt by the church. You can become disillusioned by people in the church because the church is made up of sinners who are saved by grace and who are hopefully growing in that grace. But that's not always the case. Just as Jesus experienced in his day, we still have Peters who say they will do one thing for Jesus and then do another. We still have Johns and James who in some form arguing over who's the greatest, who's, who's, who's the most powerful. We have John Marks who run away when life starts getting tough in the church. We've seen that happen a lot. But this is what I know. Without the church, I would not be where I am in my relationship with God, despite of these Peters and John Marks and Johns and James, because I need the accountability. I need to come and worship with other believers. I need to hear God's word. I need correction at times. I need encouragement. I need forgiveness. I need community in my life. I need to be connected to something bigger and larger than just Mark Royal. And I want my children to have that too. And the fact is your children will connect with the community somewhere. Your children will be seeking direction from someone. Your children will seek accountability from someplace. Your children will want to be passionate about something in their life. You have the means and the position to influence them for Jesus and his church. There's no such thing as being neutral. You are leading your children right now. And we never have the right to expect our children to rise and grow spiritually beyond what we're willing to lead them. The decisions we make 
as spiritual leaders today will and does affect our families. And it'll even affect our families for generations to come. This is what happened in Rehoboam's life. The compromise Rehoboam made in his life shouldn't surprise us, for we know his father, King Solomon, had also compromised and disobeyed God and abandoned him. Solomon was the wisest man in all the world. And yet, in all with all this wisdom, Solomon was seduced into compromise. Just as his son would later do, Solomon abandoned the law of the Lord. And how did he do this? 1 Kings 11.1 simply and profoundly says this. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women. Solomon abandoned the law of the Lord by marrying foreign wives who worshipped foreign gods. And these foreign women worshipped these false gods and influenced Solomon to do the same. And in fact, eventually Solomon would build shrines to these false gods. And God had told the people not to do this. We read, in fact, the very next verse, it says, the Lord had clearly instructed, clearly instructed the people of Israel, you must not marry them because they will turn your hearts towards their gods. Yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyways. That's the story of compromise. Be having the instruction, it's clear, and yet I do what I'm not to, supposed to do anyways. Parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, pastors, elders, teachers, you can either be a stumbling block or a stepping stone in someone's spiritual journey. Confidence in ourselves can cause us to compromise in obedience with God. And our choices always have consequences. The next time we look at Rehoboam, we're going to learn this all-important lesson. The third lesson we're going to learn is repentance leads to restoration. And that is so important because, look, we're all going to mess up. We're going to mess up, but we cannot afford to give up. Repentance allows us to carry on. So we're looking forward to when we meet again and talk about this third important truth, this life lesson we learn from 2 Chronicles chapter 12 about Rehoboam and about us. We'll see you then. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We make these messages available to give you a window into our church, but also an open gate for you to join in with our community. 
Our Sunday service is at 10 a.m. And we look forward to seeing you soon. And know that there is a place for you at The Gate. Please remember to visit thegatechurch.ca for more information about our church.